Hi, this is Jesse, and welcome to Red Cloaks Radio Extra Innings, where we are still counting down the Roe Act to see if it does or doesn't pass in Massachusetts. But we know that the session has been extended, and we've got an amazing guest today. We have Representative Tom Wynn with us, and also Judy Eskin, who is a constituent. Joining me as co-host today are... Martha from Boston Red Cloaks. Karen from Boston Red Cloaks. Welcome. Thank you for having me here, and it's so great to see you all and to uh, see champions of the Roe Act here. We're so glad you're here. Tom, so we've been following your support of the Roe Act because we're very invested in this particular piece of legislation. We did hear you speak at the rally that they held virtually by Zoom, and you were fantastic. We're all here because we care about uh, reproductive rights and making sure that women have the right to make decisions about our own bodies, right? And um, as you can imagine, things have really drastically changed for us uh, this year as we navigate the uh, COVID as well as the uh, the new technology that we all now have to learn to, you know, mute, unmute ourselves on Zoom. Uh, but I think that the virtual platform has really been uh, utilized well, especially for um, rallies such as the Roe Act Rally. I think it allows for more people to participate. Because people can, instead of driving and sitting in traffic to get to an event, they can just hop on, participate in the event, and then go on and do their own thing. So people, more people can um, can interact that way. And also, it allows for me to give my contact information through the chat option or you know follow up with actual questions versus a rally where you speak and then you basically move on to the next thing. So I actually think it allows for um, uh, more follow-up and a more intimate uh, connection with the, the people on there. And of course, you know, it doesn't really um, replace the hurrah of being in a space when you see all these people, but I think it's a, a great alternative and we've been able to um, use that to really energize people and make sure that they know that, you know, we're there to work with them and provide them support. And I, I'm just so thankful for all of you for your work in advocating for the ROE Act. And I remain hopeful, as you mentioned earlier, we voted um, to extend session. I am in a recess um, for the month of August, but we will be back uh, in formal session in the fall and we'll continue to push for this to be passed uh, before the end of the year. And also grateful for constituents of mine like Judy Eskin here who have just been phenomenal advocates for uh, for not only the Roe Act, but other bills that are just so important to not only the, uh, the district, but throughout the Commonwealth. The immediacy of Zoom is phenomenal. And you're right, for people who don't get to come into the state house all the time to speak with their legislator, it's a new opportunity to connect. Now, for people who don't know, you are in the 18th Essex District, and you span from Tewksbury to Boxford. What are the what are the towns in there that you represent? So I represent parts of four towns, Andover, Boxford, North Andover, and Tewksbury. And I, um, I feel like even though I represent parts of these towns, I'm very lucky to have partners, uh, other representatives on the other side, and we work very well together to fully represent the, the towns. Judy, for you, what's it like getting connected with Trom here in Zoom versus when you would go into the state house? Are there pluses? Are there minuses? Well, it's always great to see Trom in person. And, you know, she comes to so many different events. She's really visible around town, which is part of what I appreciate about her. And, um, of course, I've known her since the, since she started running back in 2018. We did a lot of, uh, we had a lot of personal time together, which really just solidified my support for her. She's incredibly smart. She always knows what to say. And she works unbelievably hard. I don't, I don't understand how you get any sleep, Trom, but um, 
She is just always, always on the go, very high energy. If we dial back to 2018, you were running against Jim Lyons, who was the head of the state's Republican Party and a major Trump supporter. It seemed like he was invulnerable in some ways, and yet you saw this opportunity and jumped right in, and then you were phenomenally successful. That flipping the seat experience, when you look back at it, what was that like for you? I have to say that this was truly a team effort. We had so many people coming out and support, and it took so much time and effort from supporters both within the district as well as some of my own family and um, former colleagues and others that I know from outside the district who want to make sure that we work on pushing um, for our common values, to care about the people, to create and build a uh, inclusive and welcoming community for all. And so uh, we had, for in district particularly, Judy is a part of um, Greater Andover Indivisible. They were really instrumental um, in our work as well as all the Democratic town committees coming out, all four towns, uh, with all the volunteers and the support and really getting the word out there. And I mean, my decision to run really stemmed from the fact that I knew I had good people in my corner. And that allowed me to really lean in on these issues. When I first started running, they told me, you know, it's a purple district, you need to really tread lightly. on some of these issues. But I mean, the, my belief is that I, I can't really hide the fact that I'm a woman of color. I'm a refugee from Vietnam and did immigration work as, long, as well as employment work and represented victims of domestic violence and sexual assault and have been a champion of reproductive rights basically my entire career. So how do you tread lightly on things that you've been working on for years and years and years? And so um, with my supporters, they were able to help me get the correct message out there and do that necessary uh, voter outreach because the reality of this is that this district was represented by a person who didn't, he basically uh, did not vote for the budget for the majority of his time here. So how do you advocate and get funding and um, get the things that are, that needed to get done for the district without actually bringing home the bacon, essentially. But also, I tried to reach out to him for two years prior to getting elected. I represented people in the courtroom, but also did um, advocacy work on particular bills, uh, like paid family medical leave by 415. These are bills for working families. And in advocating for these bills, I tried to reach out to my own state rep, and he refused to meet with me. And so for all of these reasons, I knew that people wanted change. People wanted someone who is available and accessible to them. Who can even if they um, I disagree with someone I I can spend that time to listen to their concerns and actually make informed decision based on the myriad of opinions that are out there in this district that really uh, we have people from across the political spectrum and that's important it's it's important to hear the different perspectives and so that um, even if I disagree with someone on a vote I can tell them why I voted a particular way and I think that there is value. In that, it has been an honor to serve for the last uh, you know year and a half. I can't believe we're you know in election season again. And uh, but I I know that my um, my base of support they have continued to support me throughout this time. I've always told people that you know it's not enough to get women to office or people of color into office. You have to give them the resources and support to keep them in office. And I have to say I've been very um, you know I'm grateful for that and I'm just so thrilled that um, they have been the source of support uh, throughout this past uh, year and a half. Graham, you've always been interested in the empowerment of women 
and also the empowerment for those who are most vulnerable in our society. How has the pandemic influenced what was is a completely cha complete change in the nature of your district? Our constituent services has really tre tremendously increased throughout this time because um, there's just so much uncertainty. As you know, our Commonwealth is at 17% unemployment. So we have just been helping people, um, hundreds of people with their unemployment issues. And thankfully, because I did unemployment law and actually did unemployment work, I've been able to focus on this work and have worked very closely, not only with my colleagues to get the information out there, but also with the Secretary of Labor and her team to address some of the issues that have come up in unemployment. I've heard concerns from constituents and I was able to work with my former colleagues who are advocates to really identify how we could better streamline the system, but also how to make sure that we are providing enough uh, language access to make sure that the most vulnerable among us can access this resource. In terms of constituent services, my work as an, a legal services attorney and an advocate really lends itself well to the work that we're doing now and helping to direct people into the right direction when they need help. We may not be able to help them uh, with everything that you know comes our way, but we know of other resources to you know make a referral, to get the information that's needed to get them what they need so that they could go on and you know survive this pandemic, if you will, like all of us are trying to do. And so the advocacy work really has allowed me to uh, not only think about who's reaching out to me, but be very intentional about who I'm reaching out to, what information to get out there that is most useful to people. And so if you follow me on social media, you know that we post the press conference every single day from the governor because, or every time he has a press conference, because we know working parents, working families, there are many people who don't have, you know, the time uh, to sit there for that you know um that press conference and we want to just make it as easy as possible for people to get the information that they need um and so uh, if there are other things that people need from us we are open to that and we want to hear from you what else do you want to know more about please reach out to my office uh, most people don't actually realize that state representatives, um, especially new ones like me, we have one aide. So it's just myself and my, my aide. So I'm very thankful that I have very dedicated volunteers who have been helping me um, with things here and there. But the, my staff, it, I only have one full-time staff. And so we do the best that we can. And we, uh, we try to be as helpful as we can. John, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I, I live in kind of a bubble. Everybody I, I know is pro-choice. But when you go around the district, what do you find? What, what proportions would you say are pro-choice versus, you know, strong so-called pro-lifers? So I would say they're anti-choice people. <laughs> I think we're going to steer away from the term pro-life because I like to say that I am pro-life as well. I'm for the life of the mother and for the life of many people they get that you know who are thank you help in district and so but in terms of talking about the views of folks on reproductive rights we saw from 2018 and judy i'm sure you remember when we were going through the doors most people want access to safe legal abortions and there is a part of the district a very vocal minority of folks who continue to voice their opposition to this but what we've seen is that 
people don't realize just how vulnerable that right is. And we just need to remind them. And that's why I continue to say it's so important to hear from folks, especially the older folks who were, who lived through life as it was before Roe v. Wade to talk about what that was like and to remind people that, you know, we're, we could be one Supreme Court decision away from losing that right altogether. And so in our work, not only in 2018, but also now is to make sure that we get that rhetoric out there of why it's important for us to preserve this right, why it's important for us to fight for the Roe Act to ensure access, but also expand this access to make sure that vulnerable people, we all know that given the state, well, even before the pandemic, the Roe Act is absolutely crucial as it will address issues of health disparities directly by ensuring, you know, young people, especially young people of color, never have to go to court, never to have to ask a judge for permission to make decisions about their own bodies and reproductive health, or to make sure that, you know, people with fatal fetal diagnoses later on in pregnancies can have access to abortion care so that they're not forced to go out of state uh, to receive medical care that they could have here. And that's so key, especially during this time of the pandemic, when it's very hard for people to just leave the state for any other reason, never mind uh, to get this uh, sort of comprehensive reproductive health care. And so I am, like I have been saying since yeah. the beginning, I'm leaning in on this because I just yeah, can't yeah. see why such common sense policies can't be implemented in our, in our state. And I am hopeful that the people in this district agree with me. And uh, we've heard over and over from just a very small group of people who oppose this. And the majority of folks that I've seen completely support access to abortion care. Um, we love talking to you. And I know it's a big ask, but can we do a second segment? Because this conversation is clearly just beginning. Absolutely. Great. Well, thanks for having me. And I look forward to the next session. <laughs> extra, extra innings. <laughs>